Welcome to Connect Church. Man, thank you so much, Tanner. You guys are awesome in your worship this morning. Uh, same thing happened in the 9 o'clock service. Matter of fact, uh, Tanner makes it so hard for me because one of the things I've been studying recently and listening to podcasts about how to be a better preacher and sermons and all those things, you're welcome. Uh, and, uh, but anyway, uh, one of the things I've been uh, studying was you know, how to save your voice, how to, especially if you do multiple services like we do here. And one of the things they tell you is, you know, don't you know, don't eat certain things and make sure that you, you know, uh, be careful what you drink and then don't get emotional because it's hard on your voice. How do you not get emotional in this church? How do you not cry and how do you not enjoy Jesus, man? I mean, it's just, and so he just really kills me every week. Uh, matter of fact, uh, I was so into it and crying in the first service, I turned around to Donut and John Sheffield and I said, uh, before I go on stage, because, you know, we're getting ready to go, I, I looked at him, I said, is there a booger check? You know, is there anything coming out? Anyway, and so <laughs> I know our older folks are going, oh my gosh, I can't believe our pastor just said that. You wait, I'm going to do better than that. Anyway, uh, we're glad that you guys are here. My name is Terry Pierce. I get to be the privilege of being the lead pastor at Connect Church. And so here's how we introduce our sermon to you guys today. In the 1970s, when I was a kid, I was a 70s kid, and when I was coming up, we, you guys think, you guys, you teenagers this morning, you guys think you are cool and hip, and you go to Morville to the haunted house, it's child's play. When we did Halloween upright in the 70s, there was no cancel culture, man, it was politically incorrect, and it was wild and crazy. So, my, in our little town, about 20,000 people in southern Illinois, uh, they would take the funeral home. Now listen to this. They would take the funeral home, shut it down for a week. If you died during Halloween, sorry about your luck. And they would shut the funeral home down. We're talking about, you know, prestigious, you know, state-of-the-art facilities. They would shut it down for a week, James, in the 70s. You remember all those days? And they would have a haunted house in the funeral home. Now we're getting serious. They, yeah. And so my mom, now you have to understand, most of you don't know my background. My parents, I grew up King James only, fundamental, don't wear hair on your ears because you look like a hippie, don't have fun, no shorts, don't go to movie theater because Jesus ain't going in there and getting you if he comes back. Fundamental King James only Baptist. That was me. But... In my little country town, Free Will Baptist King James Only Church, during Halloween, in the basement of the church, we would celebrate Halloween. And I'm not talking about, you know, VeggieTales stuff. We dressed up as zombies and, and evil and, and all that. And so the thing that you learn about legalism, logic and consistency don't mean anything to those folks. Because it just is. I mean, it's just stupid. So my mom, this conservative no fun Jesus Baptist carries me at eight years old to the Halloween funeral home experience. Made no sense. I was dragging and screaming. I want my King James Bible. And so we go into the funeral home. I never want to go to that place in the daylight, Amy, much less in the dark. And people screaming, blood on the walls. People walking around with limbs missing zombies, you know, before they were even cool. You know, they were scary. And we go into that place, pitch black dark. Soon as we walk through the door, we hear a chainsaw. <laughs> you know, that thing. And I'm like, oh, you know. I, I'm not going to lie, I wet myself. So anyway. <laughs> and so, uh, don't judge me, you would have too. I was eight or nine or 12. 
And um, my mom's whispering in my ear the whole time. My sweet, innocent, King James only Baptist mom. Terry, my precious little boy, we're just here to have fun. No, we ain't. And then she says the Baptist words, we're here to have joy. And so she takes me down a dark hallway. People are screaming, you know, all these people are jumping out at you. I'm literally, there was, I'm looking at, you know, thinking my mom needs to be put in a home right now. I mean, there's just no way there's any fun or joy in this place. I am scared out of my mind. And then it hit. We turned the corner. I'm literally just terrified. I still got goosebumps to this day. And all of a sudden, we turn in another dark hallway. You can't see nothing. You're in the John Brown funeral home. So, you know, just that whole thing's messing with you. And all of a sudden, a giant light just blinds you down the hallway. And then they have a semi-truck engine that just cranks up and going through your ears. So what you hear, all you see is headlights and... <laughs> that was a really sick semi. <laughs> that, was, that was absolutely the most sissy semi I've ever heard. But anyway, it was... <laughs> Never mind. So you get the picture. And all of a sudden... <laughs> you go back and watch that online. So you get the picture... This semi-noise and the light shining at you. And thank God for my dad at that point because my dad screamed, Shut up, Betty, my mom's name, and we're out of here. And he grabs my mom and we run. And everybody's mocking us because, you know, you can't go out the back door. you got to go right through everybody else coming through. You're scared, you're chicken. I go, yeah, I am. What about it? Anyway, uh, and, and so we run out. I kid you not, when we get outside, my mom, fundamental King James only Baptist, looks at me, and she says, do you know what, Terry, my precious little angel, that wasn't as much joy as I thought it would be. <laughs> In those days, we're trying to be more respectful, but I don't think I was. I was like, no kidding. <laughs> Probably said something else I should have said, but anyway, I said all that to say this. You're sitting in this audience this morning, or you're watching online, and the truth of the matter is your life, your journey, is a lot like the haunted house. You're trying to find joy in this life, and it's not happening. You keep thinking, and the culture keeps telling you, Oh, this will make you happy. This will bring you fun. And all the while in your life, in our culture and society today, are you listening to me? Our society today is filled with empty laughter, shallow people who are trying to find joy in all kinds of experiences. And every hallway of your life that you're walking down, all you do is keep running in to bad things, terrible, scary things, things that do not make you happy, and eventually you come to that place where you realize, man, all I do is I feel like I'm getting run over by life. There is no true joy in your life. And the Apostle Paul, the writer of the book that we're going to be taking a journey through for the next several months, 
understands exactly how you feel. Because he was on a journey in his life where he thought that if he could just be the most powerful man, the most powerful Jew to live on planet Earth, he was, are you listening to me this morning? For those of you that are believe everything works out great and, you know, we've got to have great, and you listen to me, you legalistic crowd, that, and you believe the pie-in-the-sky people, that we've got to have these people that look perfect and they, you know, preachers that don't wear this and, and, and all of this kind of stuff because that's the way it's supposed to be. The Apostle Paul, who writes and defines what joy really is, was the greatest murderer of Christians to ever set foot on planet Earth. Now put that in your pipe and smoke it. Don't smoke because we don't do that here. Did you hear what I just said? He wasn't this mantra that you want to put on a pedestal. He murdered more Christians than anybody on the face of the planet. And he hit a light one day, Terry. And that light was way different than what I met in the haunted house because that light didn't do me any good. The light that that the Apostle Paul met in Acts chapter 9, was on the road to Damascus while he was getting ready to murder and stone a whole lot of people just like you sitting in the room today. He was on his next journey, but you know what happened to him in Acts chapter 9? He met the light of Jesus, and that day, that light, that would hit, that joy that he had been looking for, he found it for the very first time, and it wasn't in fame, it wasn't in popularity, it wasn't in power, it was in the name and a person of Jesus Christ, and he got gloriously saved. And so Paul, who understands what it's like to search in all the wrong places for joy and never find it, he met a person that day and he writes a letter in this holy book about the unfading joy on every page of this letter that joy is not a fleeting emotion, but it was part, you listen to me this morning, of his ingrained character. And how could that be? And this will be the key. Paul, his confidence was in Christ alone. He found joy in a relationship with a God who had redeemed him and saved him. He's been gone for 10 years at the time of the writing of the book of Philippians. And when he does in chapter 1, and in the first paragraph that we're going to give to you today, he says we're going to put set sail on a journey. We're going to learn how to find joy in our journey. Today, turn your Bibles, if you will, to Philippians chapter 1. And we're going to set sail on this journey uh, of finding joy in our lives and how to do that on a daily basis. And just to give you a little bit more background to the text today, so we got, uh, turn your Bibles, Philippians chapter 1 is where we're at this morning. Philippians chapter 1. And here's what I want to give you a little bit more background to the text today. So I need you all to stay with me. We're going to walk through some deeper things, and, and this is a great thing for you to do. First of all, get you a good study Bible. The kind of information I'm going to share with you will help you dig deeper into the Word of God, and that's what we do here. We believe in going deeper into the Word of God, but not just having as intellectual knowledge. You're going to hear this over and over again today, but so that you can do the Word of God, not just hear, 
but here. And so here's what you need to know, uh, first of all, to interpret the text, exegete the text, as we like to call it, in preacher terms, uh, so that we get the Bible right. Not how you want it, but how we interpret the Bible right and correctly. So in AD 52, the Apostle Paul, three other men join him on a missionary journey. It's his second missionary journey. The Apostle Paul would go have what we call the Macedonian call in Acts chapter 16. When you go home this afternoon, don't do it now, listen to me, but in, in later on you read in Acts 16 and everything that I'm telling you, you are going to find there. So in Acts chapter 16, the Bible tells us of the founding, the starting of the church at Philippi. And this was in AD 52. Now Paul currently, as he writes the letter, 10 years later, is in a Roman prison cell in Rome itself and he's writing back a decade later to encourage the church don't give up continue to find joy in the journey of following God and so these three guys and here's the guys that were on the journey Luke Dr. Luke who writes the book of Acts and tells us the story uh, he was a physician Silas another preacher and they'd taken a young preacher a young preacher uh, we used to say back in the day, old-fashioned term, wet behind the ears, he was a young preacher by the name of Timothy. And these four go into Philippi to start the church. Matter of fact, in verses 1 and 2, we have them on the screen. Here's how it tells that part of it. And then this is what Paul's reminding the church. Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus, to all the saints in Christ Jesus who are at Philippi, with the overseers and the deacons, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, let me give you a little bit more geographical background to uh, the church at Philippi. Now, this is interesting. I love history and stuff. And so, unless you don't know your way around town, uh, this is important to know. So, the church at Philippi, the city of Philippi, I'm sorry, it was located about 10 miles inland. There was a port city called Neapolis. Neapolis was right on the Mediterranean Sea, and large ships would come in. They would take the goods. They would travel through Philippi on their journey to Rome. So imagine if we're putting it in contemporary terms. Uh, well, we'll get to that in just a second. So they would travel through Philippi about 10, 10 miles inward. It was called the Egyptian Way because everything that came up from Egypt would go to Neapolis, the port city, then they would take it on into Rome. And it was, so it was a very important strategic city. If you've ever wanted to plant a church, it was very architectural, very intellectual city, and so it was a mover and a shaker. So if you ever, so let me put it, I know who my congregation is, so you guys are like, uh, so let me just put it where you can understand it. Y'all know where Orange Beach is at? So uh, half our congregation is down there this morning. We hate them. Anyway, I'm no, just kidding, but anyway, and so uh, we, we love you, just get back. All right, so here's the thing. Um, you have a ship comes into Orange Beach. And they unload the goods, and they, you know, get on the interstate. So what are you going to do? You're going to go through Foley, Alabama on your way. The trucks and the semis are going to get on the interstate, and they're going to take everything from the port of Orange Beach up to Birmingham or up to uh, Montgomery and, you know, deliver the goods. So Foley, Alabama, about 10,000 people was in the city of Philippi. It was a smaller city. So just picture in your mind Foley, Alabama. It would be where we want to plant a church at because we know everything's going to travel through there. We want to get the gospel out 
out and everybody's going to hear it. So you're going to do one of two things in Foley, Alabama if you were back in Paul's day. You're either going to plant a church or put a Bucky's gas station. Whichever one uh, it was going to be, I never thought I would become a fan of Bucky's, but I have now become a disciple of Bobby Nanny. My life's over. Anyway, uh, so the truth of the matter is that uh, we, uh, we see that that's exactly what happens in Acts chapter 16. So that's the geographic side of the, uh, of the, of the aisle that we need to understand. Now here's the spiritual side of what happened. So Paul, Silas, Timothy, Dr. Luke are there in the city and they're preaching. Guess who their first convert was? How many of you know? Her name, it was a lady. You ladies listening? Her name was Lydia. And Lydia was known for her sewing. She was, uh, she's, um, she was very good. That's not the right word. But anyway, she was really good at taking purple fabrics, the scriptures tell us. And she would sew and she would say she had a great business. She was one of the leading business industries in her city. And so she was like, you know, did all this sewing in her house and did this business. She was like Amanda Bedingfield. And so, except without cats. And anyway, and so she did all of this sewing and, and she took the purple fabric and she did all of this stuff. And she gets converted in Acts chapter 16. And do you know this is so cool, ladies? For several months, the church met in her house, and this is the way we do it. You're going to find out about this next Sunday. The people in her neighborhood started getting saved. Church in your neighborhood, they started getting saved. The church started growing. It was planted. Well, Pastor Terry, we have to have a church on Sunday. They started in the house. And that's where the church met, and they grew, and they worshiped God, and that's how God began to found his church there. And then what happened later is the people in the community get upset. And this is a story throughout the Apostle Paul's life. Again, for those of you that are pie in the sky, that if we just do Christianity right, our lives are going to be great, and everything's going to be roses and butterflies, and you're a moron. And so because it doesn't happen that way, and quit believing that lie, that is from Satan. The truth of the matter is, the Apostle Paul, the biblical record, not the Southern culture church record, that the biblical record says the Apostle Paul spent most of his life in prison, being chased down, hunted, and, and and, and being beaten. So suit it up, Susie. I'm just telling you, when you follow Christ, it's not going to be easy. And any church and any pastor that's telling you any different is lying to you and not telling you the truth. Yeah, y'all don't like that, but that's true. But that's not how we do Okay, so here's back to the story. Acts chapter 16. They get arrested. They get thrown in jail. Ooh, I'm going to come back to that at the end. Do not drift off in your sleep. Go get some more coffee because you do not want to miss the Philippian jailer story. We're going to come back to that in a minute, Sandy, and it's going to be good. In the meantime, in Acts chapter 16, Paul is in jail. Jailer gets saved, and now he leaves to start the new church. So that's the physical campus of where the church was like in the city. We've looked at the spiritual things, what God did there. Now let me give you the theology. And by the way, this was a good church. Duane, this church would last for centuries. Centuries. Bible, his, I mean, Christian historians tell us this church would not only last for centuries, but it would exist until the medieval period when the Muslim forces would come in and just decimate the entire city. So this was a lasting church. This is what we want to be, guys, the church at Philippi. Now, here's the theology of the book, and then we're going to get into it this morning. 
The theology of this book, Dr. Charles Swindoll and Dr. Warren Wiersbe contends that rarely do we see a New Testament epistle where you can capture the essence of the letter in one word, and that word is joy. And let me make it clear. It is not a systematic um, explanation of the word joy. I know for some of you, what you're looking for, and you came here today, so the book of Philippians is going to dissect systematically what joy really looks like and what it is. It's not going to do that at all. What the flip? Do you know what we're going to do, what Paul does? Paul does not take us on this systematic theological journey of joy, and this is what we've been missing in the church. But Paul says, we're going to teach you how to do joy. It's not what you know here. You're looking at me? It's not knowing what you hear. You don't have to have another lesson. You don't need another lecture. What Paul is going to tell us is we need to start living this. It has to come from our heart. And so we're calling this a joy, finding joy in the journey of your life. So Paul's going to define for us this truth. As a matter of fact, it's not even really written uh, defining joy at all. And here's, and this is not on your screen, but let me give you this because here's my summary of doing all of the research and the study of this text. Paul's message in the book of Philippians is not so much about defining what joy is, but rather how to find joy while on the journey. Dr. Frank Tillman, a, a noted New Testament scholar, summarizes this book with the following statement. Put this in your notes this morning uh, because this is money. Paul is confident, he says, in describing this book, that the Philippians, that the Philippians safely, that God will conduct the Philippians safely into the realm of salvation on the day of Christ Jesus. This, he feels, is the reason enough to rejoice. The message that Paul writes to the Philippian church, get this, is about unity around the gospel. And this is essential. You're going to miss this if you don't get this down this morning. Paul says to the church at Philippi, this is the theme that runs throughout the book. Guys, I need you unified. I need you to stay on the same page. I need you to stay on the same team over and over again, humble yourselves. Humble yourselves. It's not about you. The church at Philippi is not what you want, how you want it sung, how you want it preached, how you want it done. The, the church at Philippi is about the gospel, Terry. It's about the gospel. We lay our preferences down to take the gospel to a lost and dying world. And when the church does that, the church is going to have joy in the house. And when the church has joy in the house, y'all are going to take it home with you, and it's going to change how you live your life. The gospel's about doing. It's not about knowing. That's money. Y'all, I'm not getting this. So let me bring it down to your all's level. It's about doing not just what you know. So let me illustrate to you this way. <clears throat> if you were a 70s kid, Tanner and Andrew make fun of me, morons. <clears throat> Old. Do you remember in my day growing up, when I was younger than you guys, <clears throat> in children's church and in summer camp, we were so cool, and I was 
I was one of the cool guys, so I didn't have hair like that, but anyway. <laughs> so many comments I want to make about that. I tease them every Sunday. Do something with your hair, guys. Anyway, because, like, be like me. Anyway, <laughs> so uh, when I was growing up in summer camp and in children's church in my day, because we were fundamental King James Only Baptist, that I mentioned that, we sang the good songs some of y'all would sing, you know. And you know what song we sang when I was growing up as a kid? And we did it every year at camp, and it was a big hit. I've got joy, 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 joy. Where? No, no, no. We've got too much of a younger congregation. I've got joy, 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 joy down in my heart. Where? Where? I've got joy. Okay. And, so, and by the way, do you notice the second verse? You know what the second verse of that song says? I've got joy, joy, joy down in my heart. Where? It repeats itself like 18 times. And by the way, for you older members that we love, and I am so thankful that our, our older congregation is getting the vaccines and they're back here in our services. And so thank you guys. We have so desperately missed you. And I love talking to you. And you guys are coming back. And I just, man, it's so cool. But, you know, I've, I hear some of y'all criticize sometimes. I don't like them new songs that, that Brother Tanner sings because, you know, the new songs, they just repeat themselves over and over again. Wonder where they learned it. You know, I got joy, joy. Anyway, uh, I'm just saying we need to be consistent if we're going to criticize because we did the same thing back in my day. The truth of the matter is, is that joy is so down in some of y'all's heart, it can't even get to your face. <laughs> you want to try to watch some of you all up here on the stage when we're singing and we're worshiping and we're preaching some of you all, and I know I'm going to get in trouble for this, but you know me. Some of you all look, we're singing about the gospel and the salvation of Jesus Christ. And honestly, Tanner and I and Andrew discussed it. We'd swear some of you all, every Sunday morning, somebody pees in your Cheerios. Before, <laughs> before you ever. <laughs> somebody help my wife out right now. She said, um, I, I'm telling you, you all just sing. Jesus has saved me. Y'all just sitting there. That wasn't appropriate. We shouldn't talk like that in church. I'm not having any joy. Lighten up. Jesus has redeemed us and saved us for Pete's sake. We're so worried about being offended or whatever else. How about knowing that we're not going to hell? How about knowing that Jesus Christ has redeemed us, that we still preach the inspired, infallible Word of God? And just because it's maybe a little bit culturally or generationally a little bit, little bit different, how dare us not enjoy singing every song? I enjoyed that hymn that we sang. I enjoy the other songs that we sang. And honestly, I'm telling you, I don't understand those of you that are not coming into this house absolutely enamored, worried about whether the preacher's going to offend you or we're going to like this or the chair, the, 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 we don't have pews so we got chairs, all of this other stupid stuff when the truth of the matter is I came into this place, you came into this place as a sorry sinner damned to an everlasting hell because of the choices you made and Jesus Christ interceded in your life, picked your sorry self up, did the same in my life and has got me on my way to hell and if I can't have a good time singing about that, then go home. I then got my shirt all stuck up. Seriously, how 
can we not enjoy a Savior that has redeemed us and saved us? Are you with me? How can we not enjoy a Jesus that has saved us and redeemed us? Well, a preacher shouldn't talk like that. Jesus did. Take up your cross. If you're not willing to take up your cross and follow me, then get out. Well, that's not Southern culture. It's exactly what he told him. And they hated him for it. So we've got to have a little joy. And by the way, it's just not me. Tanner preaches to his praise team and the band. And it's a great message. And he's dead on. He says to them all the time, summary of his message. Sure, I think I hurt myself on that last one. It's a good thing I had the heart surgery. Anyway, um, Tanner says to the praise band and the team all the time, he says, when you walk out on this stage, you want to have a smile on your face. And if you can't sing and play with joy in your heart and a song, he said, <laughs> you know, he tells him, and I mean, we're not for it, but he, at least fake it, he said. I mean, he's just kidding. But, but in all seriousness, how in the world do we expect this congregation to enjoy the presence of Jesus and have joy in their lives if we don't represent it on this stage? So why I push the envelope to get your attention is because I want you to understand there is joy in following Jesus. We need to quit sticking our heads in the sand and being worried about being offended. And what we need to do is fall in love with the one who's redeemed us and saved us. It's not what you know. It's in your heart. It's what you do. It's what you do. It's what you do in your heart. Joy in the journey. So the Apostle Paul writes this message and reminds him and tells them, he says, this is how we get to this journey. This is what I want you guys to know. Now look with me this morning in verse 3 of our text. I thank my God upon all remembrance of you. Always in every prayer of mine, for you, all making what? My prayer with joy. Because your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now, I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to the completion at the day of Jesus Christ. And light for me is to feel this way about you all, because I told you in my heart, for you are all partakers with me of grace, both in my imprisonment and in the defense of the confirmation of the gospel. For God is my witness how I yearn for you all with the affection of Christ Jesus. Now here's what I want you to underline because we're going to close with this. And it is my prayer that your love may abound more and more with knowledge and all discernment. I need you to underline that in your Bible. We're going to challenge you how to do this in your life every day, so that you may approve what is excellent and so be pure and blameless for the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. Isn't that awesome? Paul argued that we don't walk through this life in the dark. We don't have to wake up every day going to the haunted house of your life that you're living and wondering, how am I going to find joy in this COVID season and the mess of my life? I want to remind you and I that Paul defines for you and I that joy is not an emotion, it's not unfading, but it is finding joy in the journey. It is an ingrained character. So how does this joy become a part of our character, of who we are? 
They were not negative. They were not these people out there, always sourpuss, always talking badly about everything. How do we learn to have joy like that Paul had, no matter where he was at, in a prison cell, whether the church was doing right or not? didn't matter. Paul knew joy because he had Jesus in his life. And I want to suggest to you and I this morning, and here's the point that Paul makes, that joy does not depend upon your circumstances, it does not depend upon your possessions, and it does not depend upon the people in your life. Let me say it again. Joy does not depend upon your circumstances. It doesn't depend upon your possessions. You're putting your trust in to find happiness. It ain't going to last. It doesn't depend on the people in your life. Listen, look at me. People will hurt you and let you down, and you will be constantly be disappointed. Get over it. God never told you that everybody in the church or the preacher or anybody else had to make you happy. What he says, I offer you joy. So joy, write this down, is an attitude of heart determined by confidence in God. Ooh, that's deep. Joy is an attitude of the heart, not intellectually, of the heart. It's what I do. I live my life in joy I don't have to be negative every day of the week because my confidence is not in me, possessions, circumstances, or people. My confidence is in God and what he's done for me and my heart and life. So how do we do that? We learn how to worship him. Guys, it's not about what you know. It's important. We've given you a lot of information today. It's not what you learn from me on Sunday morning that makes a difference in your marriage. What you know, how many of you know the Bible inside and out? You can quote every Sunday school class, and yet you've never won anybody to Christ. Nobody's ever come with you to church. Nobody's ever had their, you've not helped anybody come to know Christ like the Baptist. If we know all of this stuff and no lives are being changed, can I ask you, is that why God put us here? Absolutely not. He put us here to do something with the gospel of Jesus Christ. And when we get the heart for him and we worship him, he's going to make a difference in how you do your marriage how you raise your kids to follow Christ and what God does in this church. Ta folks, it is time we worship God with our heart and he changes everything else about it. This is what we believe in at, at Connect Church. I want you to learn how to worship in your heart.
Amen. Confidence in God is what Paul was teaching the church at Philippi, and they learned how to worship him, and we're going to make that argument in just a second. All right, I've got like three minutes, so y'all better put on your listening ears because we're going to fly. Grace Taylor, get your pens out. We fit, or your phones, you do it cool. All right, here's we go. Here's number one, practical takeaways in your notes today. You need joy for in your way of thinking. You need joy in your way of thinking. Is it remarkable that the Apostle Paul found himself in a Roman prison cell when he writes this? He had been in a Roman prison cell for two years. His circumstances. Now, hear me real quick this morning. Some of y'all whine and gripe. You know, you tell your people all the time, well, you just don't know my. The preacher doesn't understand how bad my life, my life, my life. Would you stop it? You don't even hold a candle to how bad the Apostle Paul had been in a Roman. He was the greatest preacher, Stanley, that ever walked the face of the earth besides Jesus Christ. He had been in a prison cell over half of his ministry, and yet you don't see him complaining and whining about how difficult his life was. Why? Because he changed, allowed the Holy Spirit to change his way of thinking. He understood his circumstances, not about him being happy. It's where God put him, and he's going to find joy wherever the mess was at in his life. That's changing your way of thinking. So he says, Paul does, here's how you get it. I am sure of this, verse 6, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to the completion of the day of Christ. I don't care how sorry, I don't care how bad your life gets. Your goal is to get your backside to heaven one day. Nothing else matters. Did you hear what I said? God's goal in your life is not to make this earth and this life the end all. If this is the end all that some of y'all are living for, oh, we've got COVID, oh, I want blah, blah, blah. I'm telling you, this is not your best life. Quit trying to find it here. We are headed to heaven and it is going to be so much better than this stuff down here. Stay in the journey, guys. Change your way of thinking. That was Paul's message. And by the way, for those of you that whine and complain that your life's more terrible and you don't know how bad your life is, preacher, you don't understand, blah, blah, blah. Let me tell you about the Apostle Paul in Acts chapter 16. I told you we're going to finish up there. He's in a prison cell for preaching the gospel, Brandon, not because he had done anything wrong. He had done everything right, and he's in a jail cell. Y'all tracking with me on this? And so here's how it plays out in Acts 16. Silas, Paul, Timothy, Dr. Luke, they're sitting there in a Philippian jail. And all of a sudden, the Bible says in Acts 16, about midnight, they just started singing about the joy of the Lord. I don't know if they had it back then, but I'm just, we're going to go in the original Greek translation here. Maybe they were just singing, I got joy, 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 joy down in my heart. And then you could just hear the other side of the prison go, where? Down in my heart. I've got joy, joy, joy. It's not really maybe in there, but it could be. Uh, anyway, and they're just singing. And it says that the whole prison cell began to sing and to worship. And do you know why God created you? He created you to come to his house to sing and to give him glory. And the Bible says in Acts chapter 16, y'all ready for this? That an earthquake happened. God shook the very ground that they were on. The jail cell slung open and they walked out as free men. And the Philippian jailer goes, because it was the code and the law, that if you had a prisoner get escape on your watch, then you were murdered and stoned by the Roman officials. So the Philippian jailer takes out a knife. He's fixing to commit suicide because he knows that he's lost all all of these prisoners and he's going to get killed for it and old Paul comes up alongside of him and he goes Josh put the knife down 
son, you don't understand. God is at work here. God is bringing joy into your life. And he says, I don't know about you, sir, but can you tell me what you got? And he says, oh, I can tell you what I got. And it's not a theological lesson. It's not a Sunday school class. What I got is Jesus Christ. He has redeemed me and saved him. I met him on the Damascus Road. And I'm telling you, he can do the same thing for you tonight. And that old Philippian jailer gave his heart and life to Jesus Christ, Acts 16. Why? Because God changed his way of thinking. He didn't have to end it all because God became his confidence. Number two, you need joy in your heart. Okay, Pastor Terry, I struggle to process this truth. So how do, in my messed up life, how do I do this? Look at me this morning. You get joy in your heart. You're not going to be ready for this by relationships. Look at verse 7. It is right for me to feel this way about you because I hold you in my heart for you are all partakers, underline that, with me of grace, both in the imprisonment and the defense of the confirmation of the gospel. Do you know what the church at Philippi did? Mark, the church at Philippi took up offerings while Paul was in the Roman prison cell. They would send people up to Rome to deliver the offering, food and other supplies. They prayed for Paul. They never left him alone when he was in that dark season of his life. You need to be a part of a D group in this church. You need to be a part of a connect group in this church. The way God gets you out of your sad sack life, the way he gets you out of feeling sorry for yourself and not being happy is God brings people and relationships. This is why COVID is so devastating. God designed us to have relationships. We have accountability partners. We have people praying into us. We have people challenging us. When we get down, they're there to remind us and get us going and say, we need to get back in the game because we're on our way to heaven. James, don't quit. James, hang in there. James, don't let your decisions, circumstances in your life get you down, buddy. Hang in there. Relationships, it's joy. Folks, it's not what you know. It's what you do. And that comes from the heart. And so Paul shares and says, thank you guys for reminding me of how, what it is. You guys think, and I wrote this statement down, oh, to you, and, and I love y'all, but Gen Z and millennials, this is you guys. Now, here, you see, you see, we think that we're, let me try that again. We think we're unhappy because we don't get what we want. If I just had a new car, a new house, a spouse, blah, 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 the right kids, if we could get, then I would be happy. But oh no, let's take it to the next line. Because then when you get what you want, you're still not happy. Boom. Drop the mic. It's not about here. It's nothing here will ever satisfy your sorry soul. It's in the heart. You need Jesus. He's the only thing that gets you through. And here's how we close it. We got to go. Number three, you need joy in your prayer life. Folks, you need joy in your prayer life. The Apostle Paul says in verse 9, and it is my prayer, and here's what I want you to write down, underline this, because this is the prayer I want you to pray. This is what we're going to do every day this week, guys. And it is my prayer that your love may abound more and more with the knowledge and all discernment. Now look at me. 
I pray this for you every week, Mark Roberts. I pray this for you every week, Miss Pat Tubb. I pray this over every single one of you by name. Because this is my heart's desire as your shepherd and your pastor, is that you may know the knowledge and the power of God in your life. So here's your assignment today. I need you to start praying this for you. I need you to pray verse 9 into your life every day. Write that down. I'm going to start praying Philippians 1-9 over my life every day, Miss Narda. Number two, I want you to pray this over your kids. Does anybody in here have any unsaved kids, family and grandkids? You want to know how to get them saved? You pray that they get and find their joy in God. Are you ready to do this? We're going to start praying over our families. Quit whining and griping about how they're not doing the right thing, and we're going to start praying. We're going to pray over our families. They don't need you to save them. They need God to save them. He is their Savior. We pray this over our families. And number three, and here's the kicker, you need to find somebody in this church that you're praying with this. You need to, this is what we're going to challenge our connect groups next Sunday night. We're meeting and singing tonight, but next Sunday night, I'm going to double dog dare all of my connect group leaders. You find somebody in your connect group, and you get a prayer partner. You just pick them out, assign them, whatever you want to do, and you're going to have somebody that you're going to be praying in verse 9 over this congregation. I'm telling you, Easter's coming. The devil's trying to destroy this church. He's trying to destroy people, and, and he wants to just, he hates what we're doing here. He hates the gospel. He hates this growing church. Six straight months of somebody being saved, baptized, and joined the church. He hates what we're doing. He's trying to pick you off, but I'm telling you, he can't have you. I'm not going to let him have you. We're going to be praying over here. We're going to be praying over our families, and we're going to be praying one another, because the one thing the devil cannot touch is the blood of Jesus Christ. He cannot enter it. He cannot have it. And ladies and gentlemen, it is high time that we learn how to pray joy into our life. And that's exactly what the Apostle Paul did. It is not what you know. It is what you do. And here's the final piece. Diedrich Bonhoeffer, who went through unbelievable persecution, summarizes the text today in this way. He says this about prayer and its power. In confession, prayer, we break the power of sin. It loses its power to break the Christian fellowship. Now the sinner is not alone with evil anymore. This is what happens when you guys pray this. But in confession, has laid the evil aside and you've handed it over to God. That is what prayer does. We turn it over to our God, and he gives us the joy that we've been looking for. Will you stand? Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for this service this morning. We thank you for your word and your truth. There's one here today that doesn't know you as their Savior. <clears throat> We're going to invite you to come right now. We're not going to sing a formal verse of invitation this morning, but we're going to invite you to step out and come right now. Our counselors, they're trained. They'll meet with you at this old-fashioned altar. And if you would like to be like Casey and Rand, and you'd like to be like the Rookers that joins in the 9 o'clock service, and, and man, it's, God just is ch so changing lives here. If you would like to come, look at the bulletin, three other families that joined the last few weeks. If you want to experience true joy in your life, it's in a person, and his name is Jesus. Would you step out and come to an old-fashioned altar right now 
and ask Jesus into your heart and life. We'll pray with you and we'll share with you what that looks like, what that feels like, and what it is. Would you just step out and come quietly and tenderly? Nobody looking around. Our congregation is praying over you. If you do not have joy, you do not know Jesus, this is why we exist at Connect Church. Come. Seek us after service. We would love to share with you how to know the person of Jesus Christ. Now look at me, church and congregation, this morning. We just want you to know today, if you would, so uh, I want you to know today that God wants you to have joy in your life. I want you to have joy in your life. And here's the thing. You can do that. And it comes by we learn how to pray. We pray, God, help my confidence to be in you. God, help me to know that no matter what I'm going through, it's about getting to the other side. God, I pray this into my family. God, I pray this over the people in my church. God, thank you for bringing me to a church where I have people that are invested in me, that love me, that's not going to let me quit. God Almighty, you keep reminding me, this is not my home. I've just got to get through here. And if you believe that this morning, would you join Tanner in the band as we praise our God for victory? He is the one that gives us hope. Thank you for listening to the Sermon Playback Podcast from Connect Church in Tupelo, Mississippi. Connect Church has two worship services on Sunday mornings at 9 a.m. and 10.30. We sincerely hope you'll visit. For more information and details, or if you have any questions you'd like answered, please visit our website at www.triconnect.church. Again, that's www.triconnect.church.